welcome to episode 27 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. This week's episode was supposed to feature Ryan Macklin, however that episode will now be available next week. In the stead though, I have three role players who I met while I was on holiday in Newfoundland. Jason King, Dave Banco and Matt Rose. Jason's blog, Rolling Intentions, can be found at rpgbg.blogspot.com. On the blog, you'll find various observations about role-playing, as well as some links to actual plays of Lady Blackbird and Mouseguard. I'm currently on holiday, and while on holiday, I went to St. John's Newfoundland and found a lovely bunch of uh, role-players, a pretty tight-knit community from what I can gather, and I got three of them along at very short notice to talk to me about uh, their experiences with role-playing. And so, first of all, the chap that uh, gathered everybody together for me, Jason King. So, what's your history in role playing, Jason? Uh, well, I've uh, I've been playing there since I was uh, pretty young. Uh, my very first uh, game I used to play was uh, AD&D, uh, Second Ed. Second, um, right? Yeah. Did your books all fall apart? <laughs> uh, I think I still probably have one left. That's I'm just looking up at your, on it. Yeah, I'm looking up at your your uh, bookshelf here at the moment. Third edition, I think, is the earliest one I can see there. So. Oh yes, um, yeah. I think the uh, Second Ed book is probably uh, back in Graffles. Right with my mother or something. Cause, right. Uh, she like, plays, does she? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not as far as you know. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know she probably has her, like, uh, Friday nights, and I'm just like, hey, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching the television right now. <laughs> it's windy! <laughs> <laughs> That's nice, dear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so, for the most part, yeah, I, I played a lot of D&D. Um, in fact, um, Third Ed. Uh, once that came out, uh, bef- uh, well, three point five particularly I bought, but Third Ed was when I was playing it with other friends. Um, I was strictly uh, Dungeons Dragons for a long time, and and mainly uh, that's because the community was very traditional role players. And yeah, so, sure. Um, the D and D assets. Uh, that's the only thing we really had access to, and the only thing that everybody kind of knew. So. Um, the uh, it changed uh, when I uh, when I went to Edmonton. Um, I, I met up uh, with a, an interesting group, a uh, role playing group out there, uh, 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 through a meetup um, called uh, just Dungeons and Dragons, I think. Um, and somebody ended up taking over um, one of my friends, uh, Aaron, um, who uh, brought me into um, his group. And we started playing um, some indie games like Burning Wheel and uh, 316. And right. So we ended up playing a, a bunch of different uh, games that I didn't even know existed. So right. uh, from there, of course, uh, I decided, well, my game style changed a lot uh, with regards to traditional gaming. Uh, I spent a lot more time uh, looking up indie games, uh, story-driven games, narratives, um, and, uh, yeah, ended up getting into quite controversy every once in a while. Yep. People roll me up over it. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty common um, <laughs> way that people go. They generally start off with a Dungeons & Dragons type thing, and I was a little bit the same myself. And the biggest can't be choosers when it comes to role-playing. There really aren't that many people into it. So if you want to have a group that gets together often, then you really have to choose something which everybody's prepared to, to play. You can't really afford to be too choosy, and that, for the most part, the default game is Dungeons and Dragons. At least it, it was when I started playing it. It seems like that's the case for you also. The way I think about that is, uh, the problem is like with regards for 
traditional gaming, the reason why I grew up in traditional gaming is because these other games didn't really exist. Right. Um, so now, if new players came into the, the fold now, they would have more options available to them, and people who already branched out of the traditional gaming can introduce them into the new age right. uh, story-driven games. Right? right. So it depends on when you started playing. If you started playing in the 90s, then yeah, I totally agree, it's going to be traditional gaming. Yeah. Um, uh, nowadays, I mean, traditional gaming is only if the group never broke away from it, or tend to enjoy uh, that style of play sure. and then story-based. I got some uh, uh, members uh, from our group um, who never role-played before, and right. the very first thing they played was Mouse Guard. Right, nice. So it's yeah. totally their perspective of, of how role-playing is is completely different than uh, role-playing in a group and, uh, and, and playing Pathfinders. Right, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's all about your frame of reference, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, the next guest I've got here is Dave Banco, who, who tells me that often people say it's Dave Banks or just maybe Dave Bank. Or, or only, like only here in Newfoundland. D Bank, maybe? Yeah, only here Is in Newfoundland. Is that your hip hop name? Yeah. Okay, so how'd you get started? I, uh, I started, a, well, 35 now, but I started when I was about nine. I was the annoying little brother that had to. I have that, one. That, that, that got sent along. <laughs> uh, sure. So, uh, more often than not, uh, I mean, we started off with the original red box set D&D. And nine times out of ten, it was just easier to kill me off and spend 20 minutes making a new character. Right, sure. Uh, just so I'd stop playing. Uh, but that's that's basically where I started off. Um, and then I, I did end up taking a, a bit of a hiatus uh, a number of years ago, probably about three or four years. Right. Just because life sort of got in the way. And sure. Then I started up again, which was a bit of an interesting experience in itself, because uh, my wife, while we were dating at the time... Um, we played Friday nights, yeah. and uh, for her it was new, and she thought I was going out with the guys, having beer, going to strip right. club, or, sure. or whatever. So she didn't believe me when I was telling her that I was playing D&D again. That's right. Like, you, know, you can tell me the truth. If you want to go with your friends, go right ahead. <laughs> you don't have to tell me that you're playing Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, come on. Would you prefer me to say that I was going to... Is it better for my street credibility, or better for your credibility with your friends if you say that I'm going out to drinking and to the... Uh, to the strippers, yeah, that's that's yeah, and, and so she she's into role playing herself. No, she she did try it, uh, but she's more into playing board games or uh, or video games. Right, and so what sort of games does, does she like? What sort of board games or video games? Uh, she actually right now she loves zombies. <laughs> What's not to like, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the video games, it's Sims, she's right. a huge Sims fan. Right, and uh, I saw a video on the internet. I don't know if it's if it's new, but it was new to me about the the, the child molester there is in the in the Sims. Like, you, there's a video of this. This you can apparently dress up one of your kids, as, one of your characters as a kid or something. You get to be naked or something, and there's a creepy guy in a bank whose eyes like follow you, follow you creepily around the room. It's yeah, check it out. I've seen that. I'll, I'll I'll take a look. I'll find it online. And I'll put a link in the show notes. But yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty creepy. I have to say. Um, and so you start off with Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, you're the annoying little brother. And then did you sort of play that through until you, you took a took a hiatus, or no? We, uh, we then we you know went to to AD and D, first edition, second edition, uh, and then my friends and I ended up having my own group of, of, of role playing buddies. We uh, we got stuck playing Palladium. Right. We did that for years, and it's one of those things where it was one of those convenient systems. Right, sure. And then we thought, what the hell are we doing? This is such a waste. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it got to the point where you had to make up 50 house rules just so it was playable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's to do with maturing as a role player, I think, to a degree. You, know, you find the ways that the game is is not 
fitting or not creating the type of experience that you want. And it takes, uh, like, like you're saying, Jason, um, you know, going somewhere else and being exposed to something else to realize, hey, there is a different way to play it. And I don't have to have 50 house rules for my game. There is actually a game that, that more that more fits what it is that I that I that I want to do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with creating your own game or you know playing under under house rules. But you know, broadening your horizons in a role playing sense can often help you to. You know, find something that really that really fits you. So you play Palladium, and then what? Uh, and then actually, that's when I took my break, and then uh, we went and played uh, Third Edition, a few other games. Uh, our, our, our DM at the time, who was a phenomenal uh, uh, storyteller, uh, he was German, so he introduced introduced us to uh, the Dark Eye. I can't even pronounce it in German, but right. uh, but which was a probably one of the one of the better systems that I've played, and then. Uh, and that's pretty well it. Then we ended up moving here. Das, das <laughs> Schwarz um, Augen? Or there we go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it? Okay, there you go. That's, four, that's three of my seven words that I know in, in German. But the, I think that would be the black eye, but I don't know. Yeah. This, yeah. We, ended up, we actually stopped playing because uh, he ended up moving back to Germany. Right. And uh, they only published the uh, the core rule book. Uh, and one supplement in English, and then that was it. And they just dropped the whole English line. Oh, is that right? So... Yeah, they couldn't compete with third edition. All right, and then after hiatus, you played. Uh, well, I guess uh, pretty well. This is it. I mean, we did play D and D and stuff before I moved back to Newfoundland. But uh, since moving back, I've, we've I only just started playing with Jason and Matt. What two months ago, I think. Um, so we've tried out a few more. I guess more of the indie games, which is a lot more fun than playing a lot of the main mainstream stuff. Sure. Absolutely, okay, and my third guest this evening is Matt Rose, so how did you get started and what do you play now and all that good stuff? Well, actually I had kind of a different experience from these two. When I first started, I got out of high school, it was pretty much like 17, 18, and I met up with a bunch of friends in my hometown. Now, there's not really any gaming at all in my hometown. Of, uh, I'm from, uh, I'm all, I lived near Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, so there's not really any gaming out there. And I met some some people and we got on online role-playing where there's no system, you pretty much take turns throwing things out onto a message board. Right. Everyone tosses in, and you got yourself an adventure or something going. Right. Yep, sure. No game system, just all, you know, make believe, just yep. off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, we used a website called avidgamers.com, which doesn't exist anymore, but... Sure. But yeah, anyway, uh, I moved to university, uh, and which is in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and... I met a bunch of people there who were into D and D. So I got into three point five, and we played three point five pretty much religiously uh, once a week for about a year. Then we moved on to another D twenty system called uh, D twenty Modern. Right. Yep. Which uh, I actually was the uh, game master for that. Sure. Which is a very interesting experience. Then uh, uh, I stopped going to school and started moving around a lot because of work. Sure. So I was on hiatus for about three, four years. Yeah. Like I never stayed anywhere long enough to meet anyone to sure. play games. Yeah, yeah that can be a problem. Yeah. Keep up with it. And then uh, here I am in Newfoundland, and uh, my wife was surfing on Facebook one day and saw Jason's uh, gaming group on Facebook. So nice. here I am. Nice. Uh, so I pretty much was pure hardcore D20 moder- D20 player, system right. player. Sure. Then Jason introduced me to Mouse Guard and. 
my eyes just exploded. Like sure. the first uh, the first game we played, it was just me and Jason game mastering, right? And it was just unbelievable. Like the four hours flew by in a shot. Sure. Uh, Jason can probably tell you I was getting pretty energetic, and uh, <laughs> I was I was pretty into it. It was, it was yeah. a, it, it, like I never played a story system that failing can be good or like something yes. always happens. It's not yes. like D twenty. You you roll your dice, you miss. Nothing happens. There yes. we go to the next thing. Ha- like yeah. next things. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the questions that I've, I've asked a number of people. Is um, you know, is it important when you roll the dice? for something to happen because like you say the D20 system or in Dungeons and Dragons you, know, you go to pick the lock and nothing happens or um, the best thing is from the I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the video of the gamers yep. online oh, yes. where, the, where, the, where the super strong guy goes to lift the gates and he rolls too high and he can't lift the gates and then the, little, the annoying little elf guy comes up and has a 4% chance whatever and rolls a 2 and then he's able to lift the gates you know, that idea where you know you can roll the dice and, and nothing nothing can happen if the strongest guy can't lift the gates then there should be some story element that, that comes out of that, and, and you know, Mouse Guard and, and Burning Wheel and, and any number of other story games. You know, that that's part that's sort of built in. Anything that happens is going to become part of the story. It's not just okay. Let's wait and see who can actually successfully accomplish this task before the story can move on. The sheer act of attempting it moves the story on in some in, in some way, and that's you know that's a, a uh, I think that's probably one of the I've asked a number of people this question of what is actually an indie game. Does it just mean that it's independently produced or are there certain things which indie games share in common is there some DNA in indie games that makes them an indie game and how would you identify what's indie and what's and what's not do you have any thoughts about that in, uh, in, in my short little experience at indie games it's not necessarily de- the developer or producer that makes it an indie game like indie games are usually very open sourced uh, they they incorporate imagination into the rules like sure. It gives the uh, the players power to take control of their game, uh, as well as the DM is pretty much not there to like lord over you, saying this happens, this happens, this happens. Yeah. Uh, the DM just sort of gives you a nudge or the story a little nudge when it needs to, and mm. aside from that, he just uh, helps all the players coordinate what's going on. Right. Yeah, well, I think uh, indie games have a bit of uh, its own uh, category, but uh, like some people call them hippie games too. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of pejoratives associated yeah. with with that. You know, then I wouldn't go so far as to say there's a solid division. But can't we just be friends and say that's cool? You're into that. I do something else. But you know, that, that's all right. But I guess people like to be able to argue about stuff. You know, nerd rage and geek rage. And you know, I'm, a, I'm a bit guilty over that. Yeah, I, I'm a bit of a one when it comes to story games. But it's only because I, I felt a lot of resistance uh, when I moved back from uh, Edmonton. The very first First thing I try to get my because I moved back and I still had all my friends because I lived here for five years. Sure. First thing I wanted to do is let's play Burning Wheel, and yeah. they looked at me like, "What is Burning Wheel?" And I'm like, "Holy <laughs> crap, you don't understand!" So I went into like every detail I could, and then they got scared off when I started mentioning what fight was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I never ended up got to get to play with them uh, with well, I think it, a little bit, but. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of resistance regarding uh, trying to get people to play indie games because it wasn't their, their way of playing. So I ended sure. up becoming a little bit more defensive. Now, I've yeah. sort of matured since then, but not I'd say that there's still a bit of a heated discussion every so often. There is, about. yeah. There, every once in a while, uh, me and a couple of people get into uh, semantics uh, re- regarding uh, social conflicts, especially social conflicts. Sure. Should have roles... 
be part of social conflicts or not, and I'm like, yep. hell yes, they yeah. should. Yeah. It's part of the game. It's 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 a game you're playing. You're not you're not sitting around talking to each other. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. But, that's, but that is a tricky one, right? Like, how yeah, do you is. how do you? I mean, right from the first time I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you get people that want to min max their character or munchkin or whatever it is that you want to want to yeah. call and gross build, um, and they want to take. They want to put nothing into intelligence and wisdom, and they want to put it all into strength and constitution and dexterity. But then how most people are incapable of um, hamstringing their ideas. Like, so I've got a really good idea, but I'm just not going to say anything. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait for the combat to start, because it's the only time that I can do anything. And, and, and fair enough, right? Because, like you say, you know, the system doesn't really support that in the game and if you're going to play true to your character that's literally what you're going to do yeah. you know, this all is all confusing the only thing that makes sense to you is when there are bad guys in front of you and you can swing your sword at that's it. because the rules only complement combat Yes, they, the only thing it has for the social aspect is if you go into the skill section and look into diplomacy it has that couple paragraphs that's it there's yeah. nothing else in the book that does uh, social yeah. conflicts. Uh, D uh, 4.0 Dungeons and Dragons is a prime ex- example of that. Like you can look at, so, like from cover to cover, and there's nothing really dictating social. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty like I'm pretty certain like fourth edition now is considered more of a war game mm-hmm. uh, than because it it's special abilities. And it's basically all it is, is is what special abilities I can use, but I don't really want to get into like a, well, a discussion well, over it. But fourth ed is is more like a Warhammer light. Yes. It is more Warhammer-like, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the suggestion that it was created along those lines to try to capture some of the um, the excitement or capture some of the players that were playing uh, World of Warcraft? I, I feel like it's more of a marketing thing, though, to me. But that's just because I'm against. Well, I, I played four. <laughs> I played four point uh, Dungeons and Dragons before I played World of Warcraft, yeah. and uh, once I sat down and played World of Warcraft. You know, and got my obsession out of the way. I'm like, holy crap! This is pretty much just 4.0 is pen and paper World of Warcraft. Like, you get your skills, you can upgrade skills, you can throw skills away. Like, it's true. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it definitely yeah. was managed after the uh, the MMOs. Yeah. But uh, Jason did bring up a prime example that it's uh, well, it's Wizards of the Coast, right? Marketing, marketing, marketing. They pretty much milked 3.5 for all they can get, so they yeah. sold it off to Pathfinder. And well, no, no, well. Pathfinder is pens or something like that Paizo or whatever. Yeah, um, But um, the uh, what I'm talking about more so is the action figures and the maps yes, and the for tiles sure. and yeah. all those things that you get uh, that they just sell off, right? I mean the modules, but I mean, you know, modules are, are, are great. I mean, they, they basically is lack of preparation. But I think the, the problem is the is the amount of preparation having to go into it because you're the almighty guy who's got to control everything. You have to you have the responsibility of trying to make everybody happy and the players are just looking at you like, what's next? What's going on now? Yeah, right? baby birds, right? And, yeah, and they're not contributing. That's right. Yeah. They're only reacting to me. Yeah, yeah. We're and that's games, not their fault either, right? I mean, no, that's, that's, that's the way the system is, right? That's the way the system is. And, and in story games, the GM is on the other fence. They're reacting to the players. Mm, yeah. The players now drive the story, and if there's four players or three players, they're going to come up with a better story than I can by myself. Yes, yeah, for sure. There's four people coming up with a better story than a single person can make up. Yeah, yeah. For sure. One game that uh, I forgot to mention that I played a lot of, and it's weird. Fossa made it, um, and oh, 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 oh yeah, 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 I know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And um, it originally was a war, uh, war game, of course, BattleTech, right? Yeah. Uh, they did make an RPG version of it. Yeah. 
Um, and I played that a lot too. But once again, very traditional game. Yep, sure. Um, you play as a pilot, and basically the whole point of the game is blow stuff up, get ranks, get money, make a better mech. Right. <laughs> or, or upgrade what you have, right? right that's sure. the game. But well, that also depends on the DM, right? I mean, it, but mm. the, any system is, is, is only as good as the DM that you have. I, I just... Yes, okay. I, I agree with there, somewhat. I think that uh, it depends on how people are playing. If um, a DM requires aid, and the aid is the system, is how I think of it. If you have bad aid, and you're running on a system that doesn't complement how your playstyle is, then no matter how good you are, you're going to run into bumps, is how I feel. You see, I look at it as the aid being the players. The system is there just to resolve conflict. Well, I think the system should involve the actual players as part of the the game itself, not so much as the aid. They're actually the the actors and also storytellers, in a sense, because they're the ones that have the spotlight put on them. Not the GM. The GM doesn't deserve a spotlight. That's how I see it. Well, that's going to play nicely into our last question where I get you to <laughs> divide up your, uh, divide up your uh, 100 points. But um, So, what's uh, Dave, what's your favourite uh, role-playing book? It doesn't necessarily have to be Though the book that uh, you know is for a game that you play right now, but just a book that you maybe you know, your grandma bought it for you, and it's important for that reason, or just a book that's a constant joy to you, even if you don't necessarily play it. Uh, I actually like the Dark Eye uh, uh, series, right? Or, or well, the only core rule book, but I, I actually really enjoyed the setting. Sure. Um, what is that? I'm not familiar with the game. It's uh, I guess it's it's the German version of D and D. It came out around the same time. Uh, right. It's only a few years younger, I guess, than D and D. Sure. And uh, it's uh, in this latest edition. It's a it's it's a three D twenty system, uh, but it's it's more of the setting that that I liked. Right. Um, a lot of the a lot of the cultures are sort of based on uh, on on uh, Earth or I guess European cultures. Sure. Uh, and there is a bit of a magic element to it, but it's not right. as, as, it's as magic. high magic as, as D&D or, sure. or anything else. A little fantasy. So, yeah. I mean, there, there are elves and orcs and, and that sort of thing, but it's it's not as uh, it's not as high fantasy as, as D&D is. And uh, within the German system, they actually have something similar to the RPGA network. Right. Except what's interesting about this is that as a group, we could actually, you know, have our session... Send it, send in a, a, a summary to to the, the dark eye gods, and they would actually put it out in a monthly sort of setting, and they would actually perpetuate the. I don't. I hate RPGA. I do. But what I like about this system is it's more player driven as opposed to Wizards of the Coast driven. Right. So the players actually feed the system, saying, "All right, well, this is what our characters did, and if they like it, they'll use it." Right. Whereas the other way around, it kind of sucks. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hate the RPGA. <laughs> What are you, Matt? What's your uh, favorite book or supplement? Well, uh, after we've been talking about indie games for so long, I kind of feel bad for this, but I have to say 3.5 Dungeons & Dragons, not because it's a great system, or not because it's it's fun to play. It's my first system. Like it's I played it for so long, I had so many good memories and times playing it. And you know, when it comes down to the facts, sometimes I just like bashing down doors and punching monsters in the face. Like it's it does that it's well. fun. It, it does that well. It does it very well. And it you does. know usually you always find like a little bit of treasure at the end of the game, you feel happy and yeah. that's it, you had a good night. Well that's and that sort of goes back to what we were saying before, is that at the end of the day it's just something that we do 
to pass the time in an enjoyable fashion. And the, and the mechanics that we use to achieve that, for some people, are not enjoyable if it's this, or for some other people it's not enjoyable if it's that. But if you're you know, having fun with friends and spending some time away from screaming kids or you know, getting away from your parents or whatever it might happen to be, then you know, if you're having fun, you, you know, you're winning, right? That's yeah, really yeah, fun is so fun, right? That, that's <laughs> right, sure. And then nostalgia is, is, uh, is an important element of it as well. And I think that um, this old-school gaming renaissance, you know, where people are going back and, and rediscovering some of the games that they played when they were, were kids and, 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 and adding elements to it and taking elements away or taking the, you know, the, the core of it and then developing something along those lines, you know, recapturing some of that. And I think that plays in a little bit to, you know, a lot of people these days are going on eBay and trying to get back their old Star Wars action figures and the games that they had when they were kids and got rid of them and thought, you know, why did I go about doing this? What are you, Jason? Um, well, I'm kind of tied between two at the moment, but um, my all-time favorite has been Burning Wheel. Right. Um, I've got like multiple copies of each book because it's just a good system. Um, but uh, the other game I kind of tied in with was uh, is uh, Vincent Baker's Dogs of the Vineyard. Right. Dogs of the Vineyard is a really good game too. So. Right. Uh, now the thing is, is um, perspective is a little bit skewed because um, it's very rare that I actually am the player so over my many many years. Sure. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, as regards for a favorite system, it would have to be one that uh, I feel like is the best to um, domain over. Sure. And the, one of the easiest ones to do that, just because of the low preparation, is probably the burning wheel system. <laughs> right, sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's part of it, right? Like, the being reactive to what the players want to do is... Uh, means that you've got less preparation about what's going to happen in any individual game session. Uh, but... Part of that, and I've brought this up with a couple of people, is that although there's minimal story preparation, how important do you think it is to put preparation time in for for setting and for bookkeeping and maintaining that consistency, those truths you've agreed upon uh, as the sessions have gone on? Oh, absolutely. Um, if uh, if an event happens or if a uh, a character does something, um, even if it's not part of their goals, uh, but it could be something that I could use later, I would usually jot it down. Uh, bring it up again later. Right. Um, and that's important because it makes them feel like what they do is important, yes. no matter what it is or how mm-hmm. they, they think it is. Yes. It comes back to them and just like, holy crap, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Yeah, tying back into things that have happened previously has helped to create that sort of consistent experience and, and also, you know, make the players feel like what it is that they're doing is, is significant. And at the end of the day, you know, when we're playing these games, we're, it's a, it's, there's a certain element of escapism in it. And you know, there's enough random, bad, annoying, shitty stuff that happens in our day-to-day life without you know being being an ant. Um, and you know, we're role players as well, right? So it's nice to to see that uh, see those ideas coming around again for sure. Totally. So on the flip side of that, um, are there any games you guys would cause to cease to exist? Now you don't have to worry about you know your best friend really loves the game and he'd be sad or she'd be sad. But something that's that's wronged you maybe even in some random way or came along at a time in your life when you always make an association or you know something just something about it that you don't like for for whatever reason. I got a couple systems. I got one big one in mind. I think Jason <laughs> shares this one. Uh, the White Wolf system. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Um, okay. The first off, the system isn't that great. Uh, secondly, there's so much of a screaming, like, fangirl, fanboy, like, tw- uh, twi-hard kind of people that play these systems, like, oh, I'm a werewolf, look at me, I'm a werewolf, ah, oh, it's all, like, romantic and You're crap. About society, like, the actual the society's view of Yeah, the, society, the gaming society that p- likes these games. Now, good on them, they're having a great time, that's fine, but 
uh, I don't know. Like I was drugging, I was drugging to a game one time in university. I sat down and it would, I want those two hours of my life back. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about it was? Uh, did you dis- what did you just like so much? Um, well, the fact of oh my god, it's so long ago. I have a hard time remembering it. It's just it's just like when I think about it, I just think bad. <laughs> no details, but uh, the people that I was playing it with. Um, there's one they, they had there, apparently there's one way you have to play like your werewolves have to act this way and you can't go against that like because there's like the werewolf society right like sure. okay. if you stray out of the society they all come and attack you and kill you sure. and I tried to be a little rebellious I tried to be my own werewolf I wasn't going to go in the cookie cutter sure. like society that the system had sure. and I strayed off and uh I did something that I thought was very innocent, and then my fellow players came after to kill me. And I'm like, "Why? <laughs> wait, guys, come on, we're having fun here. Why? Why are you guys attacking me?" <laughs> it's like, "Well, well, we'll be friends. Well, yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> no, it's like, well, Look sorry. <laughs> it's like, well, sorry, Matt, you did something you weren't supposed to. Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. No, nope, you weren't. You're dead. <laughs> I'm like, no. Quietly <laughs> inside, you're going, yes. <laughs> Later. I'm taking my six pack with me and getting out of here. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so what about you, Jace? Um, one of the systems I, I hate is uh, the the palladium system. Right. Uh, I think it's too convoluted for one. Right. Um, and as well as uh, I, I even got some of the books. Uh, one in particular was uh, Heroes Unlimited. Right. Uh, I love making characters in Heroes Unlimited. I have sure. to say, yeah. uh, one of my most fun things is sitting down, rolling up a random guy who's like a half werewolf, half donkey yeah. with spider climbing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, like, why did that happen? But I love, <laughs> I, I love the the character generation, and I love the details that goes into it. Um, maybe I have a problem with you know somebody who has a blaster rifle or some kind of advanced technology can't do as much damage as someone who can clothesline or pile drive somebody but um, like like building wise uh, in some of the systems but the palladium system to me just feels like it's too either generic or um, it doesn't contribute to the story right. at all it's okay. um, for the most part it's just your percentiles um, and um, it's just what's the difference between computer program like why would they have computer programming and computer repair and, and like these different very abstract sort of like computers it's, in general it's broken. Should be one. yeah it's a broken system it is a broken system yes so it's like why you have such divisions on particular things like because be, just because like uh, you know I can use a computer why do I have to be completely retarded on the other side of the of the spectrum I can't do anything with it at all. Now, some people can say, okay, well, that's because, uh, you know, people who are programmers are not computer repair people, but I mean, at least I have the basic knowledge, right? Sure. And it just seems like it's unbalanced completely. Okay, Dave? I'm I'm on the same page as as Jason. Palladium is one of those, after playing it for so long and having to make up your own rules just so you can actually play it, uh, it's just so broken. You know, there's there's structural damage capacity, and there's MDC, and you oh, yeah, like it's, it's just and all of the books that they spew out are so redundant, right? I mean, it's I, I think I think they just came out with the new eleventh uh, edition. I don't know, but it's still crap like because none of the, none yeah. of it's changed. The artwork's still the same. It's the same crappy system. Um, it's the same crappy information where it's like because I was skimming through one of the books the other day. I'm thinking, who's going to spend five thousand dollars on a computer? 
right? Like it's just it's so dated. Like they haven't done anything to revise anything or fix anything because Kevin Zimbetta thinks that it's it's a perfect system. Like if if you read some of his inter- interviews, like the crap that comes out of his mouth, like you know <laughs> we're the first real D twenty system. It's like you're an ass. <laughs> like oh man. So Kevin, if you're listening, uh, just, uh, take a look at some Sorry. of the uh, the costs for uh, things. Five dollar dollars is just way too much. Oh. Way too much for a computer. You're, do, you're doing. You're gonna, Dave's going to have a brain aneurysm here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, uh, you can't get on and fix that. So, is there anything you're looking forward to coming out in the near future, or well, not too near future? Not really, not me. I mean, wow. It's uh, well, no. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm pretty fluid or dynamic with the systems, right? I mean, it's... Lately, or just in general? Were you always a guy? Yeah, like, it's a, like I said, for, for me, with the exception of the Palladium system, uh, you know, it's it's more the players and the DM, right? I mean, the system is there just to help it's resolve conflict. Aspects. Sure. Just uh, you know, together with friends. You can role-play with, you know, pen, paper, and a couple of quarters to flip coins and resolve conflict, really. Sure. But, oh, Absolutely. So there's nothing you're looking forward to, Matt? You're looking forward to anything coming up? Um, actually, I'm going to say no, but that's only because I don't really study up on the topic. Like, I just show up here to Jason's place, and whatever he wants to toss out, we'll try. Like, tonight we're trying the X-Men. That, uh, well, not X-Men, but Marvel... Heroic, uh, yeah. Yeah, Marvel Heroic game. I've never heard about it before now, and I've never read anything about it now, but I'm going to sit down and try it out and see how it is. So... If you could only be a GM or a player, which are you? I think that I know your answer for this, Jason, so go ahead. Oh, well, yeah, I have a GM, obviously. It's uh, just something I have been doing. Uh, out of my history, um, the amount of games that I've played are actually very minimal. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I and I probably am a very bad player. I think I am, because um, when I do play with some people, um, I tend to... Uh, mention things like blocks and bangs and stuff like that, like oh, being blocked or, yeah. or, or, or it's like, hey, come on, give me a bang, right? Or yeah, give me sure. a challenge or whatever. Sure. Right? And they're just like, well, what are these words you're using? <laughs> so like, explain well. it to them, right? And, and they're just like, oh, okay. And and it's like something they never really realize, uh, especially with the newer GMs or even GMs that are more traditional sense. They don't really know what bangs are. Like, sure. What, what is that, right? So yeah. And if you've got a a GM that's you know you're playing a story game, then you can you can take some of those cues from your alpha player and like the, the, something like I'm going to do this, right? As you're going, as opposed to saying. I think the story would be really cool if we went like this. I'm just going to get my, my player to go ahead and do this and then you know, hope that the GM will pick up on that idea that's someone that you want to take your, your player. And, and, and to a degree, it, it matters the type of game you're playing, but, but also the type of GM, that, whether they're, you know, they're flexible and they're open to that type of thing, which is why, again, you know, we're into geek social fallacy territory here where the older you get, the more selective you are with what you do with your free time. And so putting together a group of people that are like-minded is, is more and more important. So particularly in... Con- I really experience this most when it comes to con games. Mostly, I, I, at least in the last few years, I've mostly been being the, the, the storyteller, GM, or whatever you want to call it. So I haven't really been on the other side of the screen. But I've, in the past, I've, I've played games... i uh, played in con games where, you know, the... you Something happens, and so you, you break out your character and you start fighting some, some bad guys. And then... You think, okay, well, I'm, this is cool. I'm wondering where this is going to go. And then three hours later, you find you're still killing a group of bad guys. And then the police show up and say, "Thanks very much, good job." And then it's it, everybody. And you're like, "But where was where was the story?" But you, Matt, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, for me, if I could be a gamer or a GM, I'd say GM, even though I do it very rarely. Uh, I love putting something together and seeing how my players react. Like, just to give you a short little story, uh, a couple years ago I was playing a game Dungeons & Dragons. I put my party up against an enemy, they were very low level, like my, my players, that they weren't supposed to beat. There was no way they could beat them. Uh, they are supposed to run. And I found out then that I, I was playing with a bunch of very intelligent players because they found a way to beat the enemy by, by, by tricking it to jump off a cliff. Sure. Uh, and I actually felt so much... I, I don't want to say pride, but it's the only word I can think of to describe right now in my players... That they they stepped up to the challenge. They're like, no, we're not going to run, even though it's the smart thing to do. We're going to yeah, try sure. try to sure. think it out. And I love it. I love being the GM and having my players foul up my plans. Right, sure. Like some D, some GMs get infuriated when players foul up the plans. They yeah, sure. they step off the train track and they go another way. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, for me, I absolutely enjoy it because I enjoy thinking on my feet. Sure. And uh, that's my two cents, pretty much. I, I think uh, a lot of that. Uh has to do with uh, uh, the railroading is because of ti- the time of preparation. Um, usually when uh, GMs, uh, especially for D&D, uh, put time into preparing a, an event or whatever, um, what they usually do is they spend X amount of time based on their their experiences in general with GMing, right? So, I mean, if somebody sits down and spends three hours creating a, a, a campaign or even a session for you, they're not going to be very happy when they can't <laughs> use that other half of the campaign yeah, that they spend right. all the time yeah, to do. I've, I've actually had it happen to me. I've spent uh, quite a long time coming up with a boss battle, and uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Condren, shows up with his rifle, rolls three 20s in a row, and kills the boss in one shot at the very beginning of the, of the conflict. That's like nice. So there is, you know... A night or two of planning and, you know, like an hour to two hours of game time just poof, right out the window because yeah. <laughs> of sheer luck. But, uh, you know, I, I did the good thing. I stepped up to the yeah. challenge and I uh, thought of something on the fly to happen. Right? Well, exactly. And that's, and that's how you develop, actually, I think. Yeah. I think you develop uh, from, from circumstances that are not something you have to think up the next session. You have to think of what's happening now. Yes. Um, and that makes you and, and plus for one not only does it make it unpredictable of what's going to happen but the players then feel like wow okay well what's going to happen next yeah, instead sure. of you reading out a story to them because it gets boring yeah. if you have these things done up and, and you're like okay now the fight's going here oh now your NPC guy who you're carting around says I have to go to the town uh, this town over here next oh look your caravan got attacked again by more orcs yeah right it's sure yeah, yeah that's so uh, that that idea of you know having to think on your feet, you know, that really plays into what you were talking about at the start there, Jason, about you know the story games where it's where you're reactive to what is the players want. And I think that no matter what system you play, I think there's scope, or at least a GM or a DM should be spending a little bit of time taking just even. I mean, and for all of the things that people don't like about the storyteller system, the storyteller system was the was the first system, at least that I was aware of, that really put a lot of emphasis on what they call their prelude building up that story, what happened to the player's character before the first dice was rolled. And then going into that backstory that the players have and finding nuggets that you're going to then use for the story to come. And I think that no matter what type of game it is that you're playing, if you spend a little bit of time to go and look at that backstory, then it's going to automatically be more, it's going to resonate more with you with your players. What are you, Dave? Player GM. GM. Yeah, yeah. Three GMs. Well, what? Yeah. I just don't have time for it. I, I mean, I love 
I loved uh, running games. We're just gonna, uh, we just need to we need to sit down. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. We need to sit down and actually play <laughs> Mystic Imperium, where we can all share the GM role. We could. And it just keeps yeah, rotating around. It's something we got to do. There you go. But yeah, anyways, go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, that, that's basically it. I mean, I, I, I like running games. Yeah. I like being Or Fiasco or something like that. <laughs> right. I'm up for that. Yeah, my problem right now is life. Life, life is in the way, right? Sure. I mean, it just yeah. there's too many things going on yeah. where I can't dedicate this any time to run anything. And this is opening a lot of doors because um, all the group, all the members for, uh, or even people that I play with now, a lot of my friends uh, when I moved back um, are already moved on elsewhere. Sure. So I started up that group. Um, yep. The RPG or St. John's RPG group yep. in January. Right. Um, so everybody that I play with now are all people that I've met since January. Sure. So there's no a lot. There's not a lot of background. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That, right. So yeah. we're all still learning. I didn't even know you guys yeah. all like yeah. right. And so yeah. yeah, sometimes that's needed, right? Like yeah. having the same game group for years is yeah. fun, but you know you get a lot of built up history yeah. and you get kind of. Yeah, like, you follow a straight and narrow line, right? Like not only do I like shuffle games around a lot, but also shuffle players because this is this not the same group that I played with last week, and it's not the same group I played with before that. It just yeah, I shuffle players around, which is strange probably for most. I think we're all relatively on the same page, yeah. In, in that whole and having that dynamic concept of play, right? Because there's nothing worse than than playing a module and it's it's like reading a choose your own adventure book or one of those old yes. Steve Jackson, yeah, yeah. You know, books where it's like, okay, well, I either get A or B and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So, um, what preparation do you do as a GM? Um, well, if, if it's a new, if it's a new setting or a new campaign, uh, I always try to encourage, well, no, I, I demand that the players have a background. Yeah. And I like having that ahead of time just because that's what you incorporate into the storyline to, to make it proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we've had this discussion yeah, we before, this right? Discussion. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, you know, I, I said I got different uh, ideas about player background stuff. Yeah, because we, you know, I've been in a position before where you have somebody who says, "All right, give me a player background," and you read it, and you, and you actually put in some some, yeah. some thought into this, uh, and then it's like, "Okay, great," and they stuff it in a folder, and they never look at it again. Yeah. and well, it's like, well, what the hell is the purpose of that, right? Yeah, yeah. there's a uh, Jen from the the Walking Eye podcast. Um, like I've been listening to a lot of her stuff and I've been sort of um, keeping Jean Dixon, right? Yeah, yeah. She's episode seventeen. Oh, really? I have to go back and listen to it. Um, she um, she does a lot of. Uh, she used to play a lot of D and D and such. Um, and uh, one thing she used to like to do is make the characters because she can make all the the backgrounds and, and whatnot and go into the details. And then after the game started, she would get bored of it and just get her character killed so that she can make another character to make more, more backgrounds. And, yeah. and there's a reason because. And of course, it became an indie gamer after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because um, it was just there was no insight of of making that background really other than for her own benefit. So the GM never really put any say. Oh, okay, thanks for the background, and, and that was the end of that. Right? That's right. Yeah, and it's never fun. No, that's right. Because then you get stuck. Like it, yeah. You know, and depending on the DM, you know. Nine times out of ten, I find that when the DM does that, you know that it's going to be a horrible role playing session. It's going to be story because yeah, yeah it's, it's story. like all right, we're going to play this module I just ordered on Amazon or chapters or modules are not horrible though. No, but the fact is they don't deviate from it, right? I, oh, I mean, yeah. as a player, I'd like to yeah, you got I'd like to have the option of saying, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go into the maze. I want to go and do something yeah. else, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, got to, I've got to go and avenge my family or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things about a lot of the the new games as well. Is you you know you create those ties between 
between the players right up front, right? So you create that tension and you create that group dynamic, you know, before the first dice is even rolled, like Smallville and, and games like that, where you know, by having all these connections with the character backstory, it becomes the story, and you're you're invested in. You know, I absolutely um, understand where where Jen is coming from. You're like you put all this backstory together because it's something you're actually interested in playing out. You want yeah. to see where this story that you've partially formed goes, and it just goes in the folder that's where it yeah. goes and then and then nothing nothing comes from it so you know do you feel that um, I don't know how you guys feel about this do you feel that there's the catharsis available from role playing like when you make up a character you're trying to you're exploring some idea that you've had or um, you know you're exploring some aspect of your own like creating a character that explores some aspect of your own personality and, and sort of playing through that and seeing how that might feel um, it's funny you mention that because uh, there's a game called Spark which I don't know if you spark I'm not RPG. Familiar, but okay. Um, the 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 idea of world creation is you take uh, a p- a piece of social media, either a movie or a song or or something, um, and you write that down. And then the way you create the world is everybody has one of these social media things, and you start putting pieces of it into the world, and right. then you create your own world out of it. Nice. So like if someone chose chose X Files. Right, so that means conspiracies and a sort of alien type of things, sure. right? And somebody else said, "Well, I want to have uh, Marvel in there, so there might be a little bit more. You might even not have to be. Um, they might say X Men, for right. instance, because I mean that's just because I'm, I'm talking about this now. But uh, but that could be just not the mutant aspect and not the the magical aspect or superhero aspect, but the the fact that there's a group of people that are hating upon another group sure um, because they're different or whatnot right sure right? but it's you know and that's how you that's how you do it it's how you create the world uh, with Spark so uh, I think it definitely does um, now I wouldn't say it would be exactly like you but I, I think that if you play something that had absolutely no relevance to yourself sure. you wouldn't enjoy it because you wouldn't know how to react sure at all like right. it wouldn't even be feasible for you to know what to do in the situation. Sure, but I mean, how do you feel about that if you were being an orc? Then? Oh, that wouldn't matter then if that's the case. Well, I mean, you've, you've, got, <laughs> you've, got, you've got you've got no frame of reference as an orc, though, right? Like, how no, does an you orc don't. Feel about anything? But you have so much information on the orc that you can kind of determine how they would react to the situation. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I see where you're going with this. I think uh, you're talking about basically like how much uh, of the game do you symbolize? Uh, yeah, or how comfortable you are stepping outside of your yeah, yourself. Mouth. Like well, yeah. uh, to contrary to Jason's Jason's standing, I myself I usually try to create something I'm not because like for instance I'm I'm kind of a reserved guy, uh, and some of the more rewarding times I've had in role playing is when I create someone I'm not like someone who's very outgoing or erratic. Uh, not not thoughtful about anything, just like sure. charges impulsive, right in, right. blinding, impulsive. Yeah. So, like, uh, if I was going to make a character that's like me, I'd make something that was like a dwarf, like sure. you know, stubborn, uh, has a little like thoughtful, kind of a drunk. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, like, and to, to counteract, like, I I choose something I'm not something that's impulsive and crazy, like uh, a halfling. That, that kind of idea. Yeah. Okay, well, I see where you're going now. I, yeah, okay. No, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I guess I was thinking something else entirely. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, yeah, like, with game development, I think it has something to do with uh, something that you've uh, experienced, I think, but maybe not. I don't know. 
because um, like the way I play or with the way I GM or, or or whatnot and put it into it, it's usually something that I seen on TV or something like that. Sure. That like, yeah. Well, we'll uh, there's a there's <laughs> coming out later on where you can where you can expand it. Phil, okay. What about this day? What do you reckon? I think well, I think just by the nature of role playing itself, it's it's a it's a release, right? I mean, sure. You know, like you said earlier, if there's enough shit going on and. Yeah. In, in our lives yeah, yeah, and, sure. and everywhere else, that yeah, it's it's no different than reading a book. The only difference is if you've got a, a good group, then uh, you get to write your own story. Sure. And so, should males play females? Uh, you can take that either way. Either like as in they should, people should try to stretch their, themselves, or you know maybe that's not such a good idea. I well, personally, I have no problem with it. Uh, I've done it once, not successfully. Uh, How would but, you define success? Um, that it comes off as very awkward. Like, for instance, like when women and men and women re- interact, they uh, they obviously you know have different points of views. Like sometimes women can be flirty and uh, whatnot, same as men. And when you have like one man flirting with another man or like being catty, it gets kind of awkward in the room. Uh, if you're role playing now, if you're just saying, okay, I'm playing an, an elf, uh, like a female elf mage. And that's as far as you go with female, then it's not really role-playing a female. Sure. You're pretty much role-playing a man that looks like a woman, right? Yeah, sure. But when it comes to real role-playing, I have no problem with it, though sometimes it can get awkward. That's that's my personal experience with it. Sure. So do you think it would be better to have a female GM if you're going to play a female? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I, think I be, never thought of it like that. <laughs> I think it would be better to have a female in the group because... I mean, I could try playing a female, but, you know, I can't relate because I've never been a woman, right? I mean, there's just yeah. certain things that... Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what I was saying, though. I don't know. I didn't hear what you were saying. But before, I mean, the thing <laughs> oh, is, okay. how would you react if you're yeah. not a female, right? So the, the idea that I was bringing up was, how could you really put yourself into a situation where you're a female, and how would how would you be able to interact with that without feeling awkward or uncomfortable right and that's and that's what I was going back with yeah well it's not really the simulation not like okay well I like cars so uh, my character must like cars and that's not what I was talking about but like your actual life experiences how can you even relate to it there's no there's nothing written in an RPG book saying this is how females act because the females be like screw this shit and I'm not acting that way right so right so it's Yeah, but it's the other way around too. Because I mean, I've yeah, seen, well, I've seen way women around. play men, yes. and it's like guys, guys wouldn't do that. What are you talking about? Exactly, right? like, yeah, <laughs> and the other way around with that too. In the in the game book itself, they don't really put an emphasis on male and female, except for the actual differences, yeah. the height and their weight and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right? Where whereas an orc, for instance, there's a viable background ways that orcs behave and whatnot. Right? So they already assume that you'd be able to play as a female without having to write it down in the book. Yeah. Sure. Then again, it, it takes all kinds, right? Like, there's women that have personalities that go from one polar opposite to another. You have one that are, you know, they're just one of the guys kind of oh, yeah. woman, and you have the women who are pretty much Barbie doll kind of personalities, yeah. right? Same as men. You have men who are super macho and men who are, you know, oh, yeah. soft and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so. Soft? Well, soft. Like, <laughs> they, uh. They, you know, you poke them in your finger and go, no, 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 no. But, uh, but they're, they're soft. Like, you have the intellectual yeah. kind of guys, you have macho, macho muscle heads, right? Uh, so it all depends. If you pick a, if you, like, say, you want to play a woman, 
and you play a woman who's more tomboyish, that's a little easier for you to relate to as a man because it's similar personality, similar likes. Yeah, exactly. But if you're like a guy... But there's a relationship yeah. between you and the player. Yeah. But if you're like the an average guy trying to play like a Barbie girl or, you know, like... Uh, I can't even think of a female personality but, right now. But, no, but I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Perfect. Paris Hilton. Like, uh, you're so... Like you said earlier, you're so removed from that lifestyle, that knowledge, that experience, yeah. that it comes off as very awkward and just yeah. sometimes downright it, it revolting. It wouldn't be enjoyable. It wouldn't yeah, be enjoyable. It's not, it's not, yeah. revol- it's not enjoyable right. for you as the player. No. And most likely not for the people around you. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but as regards for actually playing a female um, or females playing a males, I, I don't really think there's any issue with it. No. As long as they're comfortable with it and they don't make everybody else feel uncomfortable. Yeah, well, that's a social contract. That, element of that's that's line, right? the lines of males, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, um, do you or should GMs fudge dice rolls? Absolutely. Hells yes. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. I think absolutely yes. I think absolutely not. <laughs> Well, I say, I say, I'll say, I'll explain why I okay. say yes. Because uh, there are certain situations that player characters get them into, get themselves into. That okay, uh, I the DM have rolled really well, and the, the game's going to be ruined. Like something so bad is going to happen that game over. You know. Sure. Uh, so I, I've, I'll admit, yes, I do fudge dice rolls, and I fudge them quite often. But that's for the sake of fun for my players. Sure. Like I, like you don't want. You know, some monstrous. You don't want some monstrous like boss or character like coming through, brah, brah, rolling criticals, just hacking down your players like left and right, right? Sure. So I'm like, oops, okay, I missed, or oops, I critical failed. He fell down, dropped his weapon. But I, I say, but I, when I fudge dice rolls, I only ever do it in D20 systems because there's no room for the narrative. Rule right? zero. Zero. Uh, Rule zero. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's that's in there for a reason, I guess. For that's in there because. Wizards decided that their rule system is not all perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I never heard of that rule. I never heard of rule zero. Rules never heard oh, of it. Rule zero is the unwritten rule. It's the rule that um, uh, the the rules are only guidelines, but GMs can change at any time. Okay. Yeah, that's rule that's, zero. And, and you've struck on the most. I think your last statement was 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 perfect, um, which is that in that system, it doesn't allow for the sort of flexibility that you want. Right. So that question is is hard to answer because. If you are fudging roles, it probably means that the system is not allowing for you to tell the type of story that you want based upon, you know, like you said, you know, you've got these random things and it doesn't allow for it. Whereas in Mouse Guard, say, for example, or, or any of these books where this bad stuff happens, you know, there are just, you're not as successful as you would like. Well, it creates this complication, it creates that complication. And as a system that can't deal with those three criticals in a row, in a way that's still fun for everybody or that advances the story. And before you explode, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, as regards for... Yeah, okay. So, I definitely know. Uh, the reason why is... I, well, for one, I don't use the GM screen. So, uh, they can go ahead and look at my dice, whatever they want. Um, even in Pathfinder, I don't fudge rules. Um, and usually that's because... Um, well, for one, I don't hide them. Uh, and for number two is that I try my best to make it player-driven. Uh, like, yeah, sure. for instance, when you uh, had your character and you wanted a bear yeah. because your stupid dog, wolf was stupid and you didn't like him anymore and you wanted a bear. So I'm like, okay, then there's a bear that's in a trap and there's goblins around it uh, behind and- these thick bushes. What do you do? Well, I'm going to use my... Uh, st- 
Russ had to move to yes. the, Woodland Stride. Woodland Stride yeah, yeah. so I can get through the thick bushes to go save this bear. He just left the party, right? And yeah. Shorty's like, where's he gone to? And he's like, and gotta my, save this bear, right? And my lord, that bear. <laughs> that was the worst decision I've ever made to get that bear. Yeah, that was uh, awesome, though. Yeah. Uh, even though the game is not meant, meant to be player-driven, I, uh, that was GM Fiat, obviously. Sure. Right? Uh, which is me trying my best to put what I want into the game. Which sure. Which is not yeah. exactly, obviously, the greatest, but... Um, no, definitely uh, fudging rolls, I think, is not playing the game. I think sure. if you're fudging rolls, um, the game that you're sitting down playing is not, you're, you're not playing the same game that the next person who sits down and plays the game is playing. Now, I understand house rules and everything else is different as well, um, and fudging rules is probably one of them, but if I sit down to uh, play a game of, uh, uh, I don't know, like a board game, Snakes and Ladders, and I start fudging dice rolls, what do you start doing then? Yeah. Right. If I'm rolling uh, my dice and I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to roll again because that one's going to put me on the snake and bring me down there. But sure. I really want to take that ladder so I can get up to the top faster. So I want to roll again. So yeah. what do you start doing to that yeah. person? Do you start saying, yeah, okay, you can fudge as many rolls as you want? Or yeah. Well, that's you know, interesting. You should make that that connection because that's one of the things that I say in my book. But from the other, but from the other direction, you, uh, Jason, now with all of these years of experience, you know of ways to take roles that are bad for the characters and turn it into interesting role playing. But what about Jason 15 years ago? No, you know, I fudge your rolls like, man, nah, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Like, I, yeah, I'm the biggest hypocrite there is, because yeah. uh, the GM screen was not big enough. Yeah. <laughs> sure. if, I, if I could make it so that I was hiding behind it, and would just, all you hear is maniacal laughing every time somebody rolls dice, and or yeah. time I roll dice, that would be me. Yeah, but, did you, but, but, but my, and the reason I bring that up is because for, when you're getting a group together, like when you're just starting out role-playing, unless you've got a seed player, that can show you how it is, right? It, it's hard to divorce the idea, or at least it's hard to wrap your head around this idea of I've been playing games all my life, and every game I've played, there's a winner and there's a loser. And in role-playing, there's not. So that's the first hurdle you've got to overcome, right? And if you're a GM, then are you playing against the characters? Do you want to win? Do you want your dice to come out above the players. Do you want your monsters to destroy the players, or do you not want them to destroy the players? Do you want these guys to spend three hours making a character, and then have their character killed by a giant rat as soon as they walk into the dungeon? Will they come back? Is that the end of my fun? So that's kind of where this idea comes. You know, with the gist. What do you reckon, Dave? Well, no, I, I think along the same lines as Jason, right? Like, I mean, but to answer your question, I think the DM is more of a referee sure. than anything else. Uh, especially in a player-driven uh, uh, game, uh, and you live and die by the rules, right? I mean, it's that, that's. I mean, yeah, you know what? Ten years ago, I would have been yeah. in the same boat, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like you know what? But that's the only thing we had available to us. We had to work within the bounds of our confinement. Yeah. Our confinement was D and D, or, or Palladium, or traditional settings that had the all-powerful mastermind in behind this giant wall. It created an antagonistic GM. Well, no, everybody it, started hated him because. This guy was here to mess you up. He wasn't here to help you. How many times have you thought that the GM always had your best interests in mind when you start sitting down playing D&D 2nd Edition? In the D&D cartoon, the Dungeon Master was... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but you know what? Yeah, but no. <laughs> but that's, that, but that, that's also the maturity of the DM, right? Like, I'd like to think I'm a more mature individual now, so if I have a player who I don't like, uh, I'd like to be able to check, you know, check that emotion and, and still, you know, tell the story and and just go with the dice rolls, right? Don't hide them and that's it. Yeah. 15 years ago, if, you know, if I didn't like somebody, I'd fudge the rolls and kill them off. 
Yeah, right? all killed off. <laughs> or, 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 or if you like somebody, like I mean, if you felt I was bad. the opposite. I was like, oh yeah, well, no, they didn't crit you after all. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there's that too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's I was the, like, oh yeah, I got a critical miss ninety. No, but <laughs> but you know, ten years ago, as a DM, right, yeah, you, yeah, would, yeah. you wouldn't want to waste your time, right? Because then it's no. like, oh crap, you know. Then we have then, then someone's going to make a new oh, character. Oh, you play a bad, you can be like a bad player, else, whatever, right? Yeah. No, so but kill even, them off, get about the group. No, but like, even if you had a good player, right? Like you know, ten years ago, if, if you had a particular storyline, you didn't want to have to like kill someone off by accident because the dice said you had to kill someone, right? And you know, right, right, yeah. because of your friends, and you'd feel bad for them, and then it sort of screws up the night because then someone's got to yeah. make a character. Character but, and it but, leaves them out. Yeah, but, but D D wasn't really death. Wasn't the end in D D? It just it was just yep. a setback. You went back a level probably, or, or lost some gold. But I mean, technically, based on how early the game is, death was only an obstacle. You could just get back. You I mean you just res, get the next red spell and you're back up again. You raise dead, back into the game again. Only right? because the only because the game says it. But you yeah. gotta find you gotta find a, you know depending on the setting of the DM, you gotta find someone who's willing to do that. True. No, I, I, mind I, together if you first level that type of stuff. All sorts of logistical problems with death. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so, so with that, expanding on that idea just a little, a little further, um, did you find that it was that it was easy enough? That like you had enough people around you? Because, well, what if you don't have a scene player? What if you don't have somebody that's actually done it before and knows what it's what it's all about? And I drew a similar analogy to the one that you drew about snakes and ladders. And snakes and ladders, the rules require. That when you roll a six, you move six places. If you're not a ladder or a snake, well, too bad, or yay for you. But when it comes to a role-playing game, it's not adversarial. You want to try and encourage people to come back. So at the end of the day, it's all about having fun. And so if you're going to roll something that's going to make somebody have a bad time, and you're just new to the game, we talked about this earlier as well, You know, if you had have that experience where you can say, okay, this is a bad roll, but this is something cool that I can do with this, how I can advance the story, that's a difficult concept to grasp, particularly if you haven't seen somebody do it. So you say, you know, your first responsibility as a GM is, first of all, you're lucky to have people that want to play with you. And second of all, you're lucky to have people, lucky enough, lucky enough to have people that want to play with you. You don't want to turn them off by, by killing them off straight away. And you get to what you're saying, Dave, where they've got to make another character, they've got to sit out, they've got to wait, they've got to fight, you know, all that type of stuff that removes their enjoyment. And when you develop as a, a game master or you've seen more things as a role play, you can start to do interesting stuff with, with that. So, you know, I'm now I don't fudge dice rolls. But while you're learning your craft as a GM, and particularly if you're the, you pick up the book and you want, to, you want to start out, you know, I say focus on making it fun to start with and then worry about, you know, what the dice say later on. Now, you don't want to get in a situation where you're still doing that 20 years later and you're just railroading people and they're not really playing a game at all. They're just like, maybe means they're waiting for you to put the story in, right? Yeah, but maybe yeah. people like that, I don't know. But There's a lot of people like that who just want who just want to sit down and play the game for the for the battle thing. Uh, I've got one friend, Mike, um, who, um, and that's what he does, is um, when, he, when he plays a, he plays a warrior, barbarian, that's what he plays, and he, uh, he zones out through the entire thing, so when the fight's up, he's just like, ah, fight, yeah, okay, and he just takes the dice and starts rolling, and that's what he likes doing, he likes to kill. Now, I actually played Burning Wheel with him, uh, he had certainly a different um, view upon what role-playing was after that, but I never had to play with him since, because he moved, but. The whole uh, issue with the antagonistic uh, GMs and such, um, the, the idea of, uh, of GMs actually going into uh, they're the enemy versus the player and they're not all contributing to the story and they're actually grinding gears against each other uh, that sometimes doesn't make you the greatest story uh, and the reason sometimes I think that is because of secrets I think secrets uh, there's open secrets and then there's uh, uh, secrets that are uh, 
that are driven towards individuals. Now, some people would say, I like the idea that I know something that the other players don't know, but some secrets, I think, are okay to know. Like, for instance, you know this is going to happen, and I tell you, but your characters don't know. So now you're anticipating it in your mind as a player, building up more suspense for when it actually happens. Sure. Uh, now, there are other secrets that probably you wouldn't want to know about because they're twists. So the difference between an open-ended secret and a twist is the fact that a twist will happen uh, when, a- as, as the event happens, and then you'll have that like, surprise, like, oh, it was him all along, right? right. Rather than, um, and that's usually due to mystery and, and such. And sure. then there's open secrets that everybody should know about so that people don't feel like they're being robbed. Like, how come he knew about this and I did, and now I feel like I, I'm dem- uh, undermined as a player, because this person has secret information that I was never told about because that's somebody's girlfriend and then there's like a rivalry. Sure, but that's a different thing altogether, right? And, and to a degree that comes down to maturity as well, like how, yeah. how comfortable you are as, as role players. If you yeah. are able to deal with a, with an open secret and not have it affect the way that your character does stuff, then, then that's great, right? But that's not always the case because when people start out, they don't have that, they have that maturity or that experience or yeah, they're not you're necessarily right. keeping an eye out for what's going to be best for this story, right? And I, I don't mind metagaming too much uh, as long as it metagames with the story. Hmm? Sure. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with no. metagaming myself, but uh, there are people that do. So um, what is the most uh, inspiring... Um, movie or, or TV show or something you've seen with regards to role playing and you watch the show and you went that's really cool I want to re- play a role playing game that's based there right now or I want to use something along those lines right now uh, I guess I'll jump up first here and say uh, for me it would be Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom huh. um, I say that both for role playing wise and like for social intera- like social con- uh, conflict and actual conflict my uh, very first game, I did the stereotypical thing, and I threw my party into a dungeon, right? Because yep. it's, you know, Dungeons & Dragons. It starts sure. simple, right? Yeah. And yeah, I... Or and uh, I uh, took a lot from that movie. I didn't directly pull things off, but it meant, like, the, like, spew, like uh, a lot of Spielberg stuff, and uh, even George Lucas and whatnot. In the early days, they had amazing imaginations, and they could build a world that... It, really kept you on your toes, like, I'm going on minecarts down a mine shaft, right, and get chased by a bunch of guys shooting at me, or, you know, we're running across a bridge, everything's collapsing, or whatnot, or you find that trap room that the spikes are coming down off the ceiling, the, the walls are closing in, sure. and you're relying on a lone par- party member to save you, sure. kind of stuff. Uh, it really gets your heart pumping and racing, and that's, those are exact situations where I fudge dice rolls, like, if it's up to a single party member to like save the day, sure. If they screw up, your party's dead. Like that's when I fudge sure. the dice rolls. It's like okay, uh, he opens, a, he uh, solves the trap. You guys get out, but this place starts caving in. You all take such and such damage, or you guys lose an item, kind of sure. thing. Yeah. Like when I fudge dice rolls, uh, like a complication more like yeah. It's more of a complication. Off. It's not like you're off scot yeah. free. Yeah, it's uh, it's with, I, yeah. I fudge it. To lessen or and sometimes like uh, increase what what happens like for instance if you got like the party members are not getting hit like you keep rolling ones and twos for yeah. your monsters attacking it's like okay well this one's gonna get by fudge that sure. one yeah sure just so it keeps the action going like well that's the difference between like story like actually driving the story yeah like um, if it's not important then who cares 
Continue. If it's important, roll the dice. Yeah. Say yes, roll the dice. That's uh, it. sure. it's a Baker quote, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess that's it for me. Like, there's there's so much out there that we can all draw from. Yep, like sure. in uh, any kind of media, movies, TV, books, comic books. Uh, that's so. Yeah, Indiana Jones: Temple of Doom is my biggest one. Nice. Hands down. That's a good yeah. one, actually. I didn't think about that. I don't have anything yet to go. Well, I have to go for it. All right. <laughs> uh, for me, it was always Star Wars. Right. It was just always so much within like the three Star Wars movies. It just uh, and it wasn't so much the the it, for me it was more the storyline um, <laughs> and and all the plot twists and 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 the settings. Uh, I mean, even you can still use a lot of that even in low fan, in, in fantasy settings, uh, sort of pretty well anywhere. Yeah, yeah. The, those well written stories that are. Uh, like uh, Joseph Campbell and his you know, Heroes with a Thousand Faces, you know, all those common, those tropes that people tie into and, and use, and, and heroes, people recognize that they're heroic and, and that sort of thing. And, and also, you know, like these, these, there are only, depending on who you ask, there are only six different stories that you can tell, you know, man versus nature, man versus himself, and, you know, all that type, all that type of stuff. But, you know, well, a well written story is, for the most part, genre independent. Right, and this idea of you know Luke and his father and this developing relationship and so on and so forth is a good, is a, it's just a good story, right? And the setting is largely incidental to that, so for sure I think Star Wars is uh, is great for that. But also at the at the time I think uh, it was the very first film that I went to by myself was was Star Wars: Walk Down the Street and, and clutching a bag of fudge that my mother had made, which was totally melted by the time by the time I got there. And, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, and seeing it was just it was just brilliant. So I really got a real soft spot for uh, for Star Wars. What about you, Jason? I don't I don't know really. I mean I'm like when I was uh, younger. I mean obviously I mean. Um, the G.R.L. Tolkien's books, right? Like Lord of the Rings and whatnot. But I mean, thinking of that now, I just think like, like I don't think about that anymore. Because I mean, they had the epic stories and they had the great world and, and sure. whatnot, very fantasy uh, based. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know at the moment. Like as regards for what I would be seeing, where I get my inspiration from right now. Uh, because it's all based on system, so honestly, at the moment, uh, it's not really social media. It's like the game I'm playing. I'll get ideas for. Uh, when I was younger, yeah, definitely like uh, Lord of the Rings or even uh, just um, anything in regards for anything that brought me back to D and D setting would make me want to play. How do you feel about Game of Thrones? Do you think the Game of Thrones is going to be good for the hobby, bad for the hobby, or have no effect on the hobby? Oh, absolutely, I think it's good. I'm gonna say that I've actually never seen a single episode, haven't read anything about it, and for me, for me quite personally, I have no inclination to. Uh, when I hear people ranting and raving about how good something is, I'm a little weird in that I sort of stro- stray away from it. Right. Like, for instance, everyone going on about, uh, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and, like, later on Firefly. When it came to that, it's... It's along those lines. Like, okay, it, I recognize that it's great, but I'm not going to sit down and watch it because I'll go in with so many preconceived ideas about how great it is. Very dwarf like. Yeah. <laughs> Stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit the same. I'm, I'm not quite to that degree, but if I know there's something coming out that I, that I want to see, I don't read any reviews and I don't want to talk yep. to anybody about it. I just want to go along. You want to go in and, and have your own ideas. Them. That's right. Yeah. And it's often hard to uh, to get that with now social media being so prevalent. You know, yep. like every time you log into Facebook or whatever, somebody's talking about that type of uh, that type of stuff. So it is hard to develop that that sort of you know unique 
impression of, of what's going on. So, so yeah, I can I can sympathise to a degree. Although I think that uh, you should check out Game of Thrones, <laughs> not not necessarily because it's it's fabulous. Like the, the story is incredibly complex and. Um, it's like a it soap is. opera. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, yeah, I guess it's not it, intrigue and stuff. And sure. So, I mean, I don't think you should go into it thinking that your head's going to be blown off and it'd be something totally different. But it's just nice to see somebody spend a lot of money and take a lot of care with a something that's you know perfect for the sort of things that I'm interested in or the idea that I'm interested in. So, so what are you, Dave? Uh, actually, uh, the uh, from I guess at an RPG setting, the uh, I know that they had two different uh, versions for role-playing, and the original one was fantastic. It was for D20. Right. And it was just a phenomenal addition to the D20 system. Uh, How they handle intrigue in that? I, did, I don't know. I honestly don't remember, because yeah. we I, I looked at it, and a friend of mine had it, and then uh, we were all gung-ho for it, and then he ended up having a kid and disappeared, and uh, the company went bankrupt. No. So well, I guess it was that great. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, so Mr. Martin actually does have them. You can actually buy them off his okay, webpage, cool. and he sells them for like 150 bucks, right? <sighs> but, the, but they're autographed, oh, right? Okay. So, but uh, I think uh, I think it'll probably attract more players in the long run. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's got it's, a lot it's, of games. Though. It's got like the whole. It's already got like three or four computer games already, um, and it's got like. Um, just a lot of like different supplement stuff, like marketing-wise. Well, and it's going to be a trickle effect, right? Because you, you've got people who are watching the show who are basically saying, "Well, maybe I should read the books, right?" Because, and, and I mean, I've, I know even with my wife, my wife likes the show, but I've read the books before the show, and so I'm, I'm giving her the little bit of tidbits that yeah, that aren't in the, in the show and that you really need to to yeah. really complement the show. Yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah, and that's that where you're going to have people who are going to yeah. go and read the books and then. You know, the the ultra geeks like us are going to say, well, maybe I'll try the board game or what's this role playing thing? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Absolutely. So, uh, who's your favorite villain and why? Or who are your favorite villains and why? You're asking the hard questions. Magneto. Why Magneto? Because he, depending on which view you see him as, he's either a villain or he's a hero. If you're a mutant, he is a hero. If he, if you are not a mutant, he's a villain. Because if you're, well, I wouldn't say if you're a mutant because they're, they're like the X Men are against them. But um, I feel like he plays both sides. He he's out to for for mutant kind to protect them um, and not really protect them as, as well. Yeah, protect them, I guess, um, and create a society that uh, that they belong in. Uh, and by doing that, of course, his motives are evil. <laughs> Kill off all the humans. <laughs> which, yeah. which, being a human, I would be very disturbed about. So I probably wouldn't like him as much if that was the case. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, but I think like he plays a, uh, a very interesting side uh, from, from the mutant side of uh, point of view, where he's the kind, uh, s- uh, sympathetic uh, villain who cries when he sees another mutant kid lying on the ground because a mob just went over and beat him up because he was different. Yet, he takes, turns that rage into something that uh, is beneficial for for what he sees as beneficial uh, to create a, a utopia or of, uh, of, of mutant kind to live in, right? Right, that ambiguous villain where you only know that Magneto is bad is because he's told through the prism of the, yes. the X-Men. Yeah. Right? But if the story was Magneto versus the X-Men, yeah. then it would be Magneto would be the good guy and the X-Men would be the bad guy. Absolutely. Right? It's all like basically it's like the like if there was like a big war, 
I mean, like, you know, the different different wars is really told through what eyes. I mean, if, if like for World War Two, whatever. I mean, usually the winners. Yeah, the yeah. winners. They tell the tell the story. Yeah, exactly. So, um, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Right? Well, you don't know. And the only the only reason you would know uh, anything in history is because of the person who made it up, which is usually the winner, right? So, uh, I, I like Magneto. Actually, I, th- I think he's like my favorite character in in the Marvel universe. And it's kind of sad because there's so many, and I'm picking one that everybody knows. Um, so that probably makes me f- seem like not much of a comic book nerd. <laughs> but <laughs> and goodness me, you want to you want to keep your comic book nerd credibility intact, there, Jason. So yeah. choose somebody really, really obscure. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> like mm, you know, my favorite superhero is much more obscure. Than yeah, exactly. Right? right? Like yeah, I'm going to pick one that nobody knows, so I can look at the history background. And uh, you know, and then people would be like, "Who's the century?" He's like, "Oh, he's awesome. He's like Superman with, with mental issues." <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? Uh, does it have to be from comic books? No, oh, no, okay. for any any villain at all. All right, uh, you guys might not know this, but hopefully, somebody listening to this podcast might. Uh, in the world of Warhammer Forty Thousand, uh, which is produced by Games Workshop, I'd have to say my favorite hero and villain would be a character called the Emperor. Right. He's this character who's trying to unite humanity for the benefit of itself after it's spread too thin throughout the galaxy. Right. Um, it's humanity's being attacked by aliens and by demons from something called the warp. Right. Uh, and he's trying to unite unite humanity and uh, protect them. But at the same time, it's either you follow me or you die. Right. Like he kills humanity that, that doesn't follow him, whether they just want to live their own lives or they're under the influence of some other power. Right. Uh, Games Workshop, uh, the company produces it, mostly promotes him as a hero, but if you read the novels and you read the lore that's in the game books, you can tell that he's just as evil as he is good. Sure. Uh, he even has his own sons uh, rise up against him, which kind of makes you question, is daddy really good or not, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough question. There's so many villains out there. I like a lot of them. Um, I guess off the top of my head, I'd probably have to pick Gollum. Right. Right. I just I like Gollum because Gollum is he's he's a villain that you felt pity for. Yeah. Right. I mean, and 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 I know even with a lot of the novels, I I like to read. uh, I like having the. You know, and the tragic heroes are good, but I, I like the tragic villains. Right. You know, that actually yeah. have a backstory, and, and that's that's what I liked about Gollum. Well, he was all like, uh, basically, I mean, people found sympathy for him because he was so, like, pretty much deformed. And you know? he wasn't necessarily evil because of his own fault. He was evil because of the influence of the ring that he, fa- that he found yeah. earlier in life, right? Right. Yeah, so we, he, don't get any, we don't get any of his story before he, he, um, yeah. before he throttles... Um, was it Deagle? Was it no, not Deagle? That wasn't it. He was. What's his real? His real name is Schmeagle. Uh, but he, and he, is it Deagle? Is Deagle yeah. the name of the guy that he? That he's yeah, it's his brother. It's yeah, his brother yeah, that he, he fights kill, with, right? He kills his brother. I think. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. But again, that was over the ring, right? Yeah, and yeah, because he, of the ring's influence, right? Right. You know, yeah, he was a hobbit, right? Yeah. In the little snippet you see in the movie, they they're having a great time on his birthday fishing, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden they see this shiny thing in the water, yeah. and boom, they start yeah. fighting over it. Right. So it's basically, I was just. It's not really. He's not really evil. I mean, well, he just turned evil because he was poisoned. Right. So, therefore, is a Green Lantern good or bad? Uh, I can't say anything. I don't know enough about Green Lantern. Neither do I. Yeah. Actually, well, I he, gets, he gets the ring, right? And then the ring makes him a superhero. 
Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 I see. <laughs> but uh, that's that's different, because as much as I know about the Green Lantern, the ring isn't, like, a sentient thing. It's just something you charge up to create green magic, which is, you know... I think it leaks count- them to, like, these, all the other Green Lantern. Well, the Green Lantern Corps yeah. is the group of superheroes, right? But, uh... I don't know if they're all heroes. But... Well, they're protect- They're supposed to be yeah, protectors. They're, yeah, they're... Su- some of them are... Uh, uh, there's probably someone listening to this right now that's like, oh my god, you guys know nothing! Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in rage! My DC knowledge is so minimal, I can put it to a can. So really, DC has the best villains. I don't agree with that, so... DC... No. I don't agree with that. Why, why do you say that, Doug? Yeah, why do you say I, that? Because, I, I mean, especially the ones that, that, that Batman has to go against, I just like the villains. They're like the Joker... Um, Penguin, Scarecrow—they just have they're too human. They're, like they're very human. They're, they don't really all have superpowers. Yeah, but they don't need superpowers. Just that's insane. the whole point, right? But but that's not because, insane. That's because Batman doesn't have superpowers. If Batman has superpowers, like really big superpowers, then the enemies would have superpowers. It's, it's just basically on um, which view you have the the antagonist and the protagonist. They're gonna—they're not gonna put Batman against um, I don't know Brainiac or something like that. Rip him apart. How many times has Batman saved the Justice League? How many Zero. times? Because because he gets neglected because of it. he doesn't have any superpowers. Exactly. He's not a threat. He likes to the Batarang, and that's the end of it. And they're just like, who's Batman? Oh yeah, he's that guy who has no superpowers. <laughs> yeah, he's the guy with the money. Yeah. <laughs> he's the guy who funds us. He's, he's, like, like, he's, a, he's our retainer. <laughs> he's like a less, less cool version of Tony Stark. So do you go so many dice superstitions? I don't, but I know people who do. Uh, you know, when you touch their dice, it's cursed, and then they have to go buy new ones, and I'm just like, wow, that's, that's a bit much for me. <laughs> Sometimes I need a magazine to hold my dice, because when, like, for instance, I'm rolling my dice, and they're coming up bad, I'm like, gone, pull, like, fire up the next one, like, yeah. next one in the line, like, <laughs> I, have my D, I have my T20s lined up, I keep using the same one until it gives me a one, and like, psh, gone, uh, next one. <laughs> four off of that one, must be rolling ones for a reason. Let's <laughs> <laughs> wait it. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> Buy a new D20. Oh, look at this one's all fresh. It doesn't yeah. have, hasn't rolled any 20s yet, but look, oh, it's going to... You could, supercharged uh, dice. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they don't go into Kickstarter, Kickstarter for the uh, platinum dice sets. <laughs> I saw a, a dice set that's made out of platinum that was on Kickstarters. How much? <laughs> I didn't even have a price tag. No, <laughs> didn't have a price tag. It's like the, the first incentive started at like two hundred dollars. It's like so. I'm like, man, two hundred bucks for one of each dice. That's pretty pricey. Wow. <laughs> they made it a platinum. They must be pretty tiny dice because they give them for yeah. 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 <laughs> one tiny little dice for two hundred platinum is pretty good. Yeah. Probably, that's probably just like. You're now supporting us. This is like our, like, oh, we'll put your name on like a sheet of paper. <laughs> Two thousand dollars yeah. for a single dice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you, Dave? I don't really have any. I mean, I did when I was younger, but now it's just grab a die and roll it. I mean, I, I I had a I knew somebody once who used to punish his d20s by putting them in the microwave for a few seconds, but <laughs> that's a little extreme. And I haven't seen I that person so. around for a very long time, but. <laughs> You would put it. You put it in for like three seconds. It was like his punishment, right? But <laughs> people do weird things. People do weird yeah, things. They yeah, have yeah, weird yeah. superstitions attached to their dice. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, another prime example. It's not to deal with dice, but in like the game Warhammer Forty Thousand, you never call a uh, missile launcher a missile launcher because has the word "miss" in it. You always call it a rocket launcher. Ah, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. I did not know that. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you could be a character from a role-playing game, 
what would it be as in like you Matt suddenly found yourself in a setting and you were a character in that game rather than you could just take the book out and play it I mean you just literally found yourself there um, I played a and this is going to be weird but I played a character um, on a forum base game um, for Trail of Cthulhu I played this Irish bum who had like all these connections to like the streets and stuff and I'm like it'd be kind of cool because in a sense because like the guy <laughs> Because the character was very charismatic for being a bum, but <laughs> but uh, I thought uh, his, his his character got into a lot of crap. But so you'd like to be him? Yeah, yeah just because his personality was uh, very interesting, right, and different to your own. Yeah, it is definitely different. Um, I would not be the type of person to go up to a complete stranger who I have no idea and then like starts thrifting stuff out of his pockets and while I'm talking to him and right. like, checking his ID right. and then pocketing it. Yeah. <laughs> so your opportunity to be somebody different, Dave? You got to. I do actually. I uh, many moons ago we uh, we played Cyberpunk and uh, it's one of the, it's one of those ruthless systems where anytime a good battle happens everybody dies. Right. And I had this character who was a fixer and no matter what I did I always. I was just lucky with the dice, and right. he, I, I don't know how many people or how many characters he's worked with that have all died, and he just outlived everybody. Right, right. It was no matter what the dice roll was, I always got lucky and somehow survived. But he was one of those characters who was perpetually injured. Right, he sure. Always, he was always at like you know less than half hit points. Yeah, right. But he still survived. Right, so so a survivor. All right, what are you meant? Uh, for me. I'd have to say the character from my very first role-playing anything. Um, this is when I was online with the forums playing without the system. I was playing this uh, white tiger anthropomorphic character that um, was kind of a loner. Uh, he was created in a government lab, uh, like escaped kind of thing. And he just pretty much went around living his day-to-day life as being this creature in like a human world, I always have very. I always enjoy thinking about it. Like whenever I do remember to think about him, it's right. like, Wow, that was a cool time. <laughs> sure. So, what's your role playing elevator pitch and your go to example? Like somebody says, "Hey, Dave, what are you doing tonight?" And you say, "I'm going role playing." And they say, "Role playing? What's that?" And then you say, "I actually I don't. I usually just tell people I geek out. That's it." And they just I got I, I got tired of trying to explain to people what role-playing was. Right. Because then you get into this, oh, you know, what do you guys do? You guys just sit around and talk? It's like, well, yeah. You know, and then you get the, well, who wins? How do you know who wins? Right? And it, I just, yeah. So you don't, you don't feel any compunction to try and attract people to the hobby? I don't. Like, I mean, if, if someone asks me about it, like, I mean, I will. Oh, well, you know, I'll, I geek out. Well, what do you mean? It's like, well, I'll play Dungeons and Dragons. And then if they ask for more information, it's we're almost like the Freemasons. Right. right yeah. I don't actually go and recruit people, but if people ask for information, I'll give it to them. Right. Sure. All right, Matt. Um, I'm usually quite honest. You know, it's I've spent spent so many years like trying to explain myself. It's like exactly what Dave said. It's like you know, you sit around, you talk to people, and there's so there's a lot of there's a lot of negative stigma involved in our hobby. Uh, it's getting better though, because you know, geeks are starting to rule the world. Uh, look at Vin Diesel. Like he apparently he played uh, D and D when he was a kid, right? So, sure. so it, it's getting it's getting cooler now to be not cool. So uh, I just straight up and say, I'm like, yeah, I'm 
going out tonight to play some Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, oh, cool. So, what's that? And I'm like, yeah, we just sit around, uh, make some characters, have a good time, drink a couple beers, eat some chips, and uh, yeah, it's pretty much it. It's like, so what do you guys do? Oh, well, we have adventures. We go find treasure. We kill dragons and monsters and stuff. Or, or like, uh, like I explained to my wife uh, playing Most Guard. She's like, what's Most Guard? Oh, we play a bunch of mice. She's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like we did the, Like I did this last night. I was like. I got washed down a tunnel. Like, I ran away from a wolf, and I had this little, like, gimp mouse friend uh, save the day. It's like... Kale. And you know what? You put a positive spin on it, you can usually drag these people who don't know anything about it into it. Right, sure. Just as long as you're upfront and you be positive about it. It's like, if you act like a little bit of... A little cautious. If you act like you're a little kind of embarrassed about it, sure. the, negative, the negative comes out, right? Sure. Next is embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. That's a negative trait. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, what are you I'm a, uh, I'm a t- I'm very explosive when it comes to that. Uh, it's the moment someone brings up role playing, I'm, I get into this mindset, and I'm already kind of like trying to convince them. If you're like 60 years old, 60 years like at work, for instance, I have there's a secretary, and I mention about my role playing group. She says, "What's that?" <gasps> and I go into like this big spew, right? and I tell her everything. She's just like, "I don't understand," <laughs> right? And but the way I break it down is because I work at a book publishing place. I break it down that uh, in in the format of a book, right? Sure. Uh, I'm the I'm a, a writer, but everybody puts thoughts into what I write. Sure. So we all create a story of a book because everybody else is helping me. And she can obviously understand that because sure. that's how the book publishing works, right? So sure. The editor puts in the two cents into the sure. word, right? So, yeah, that's what I, I'm like. That's what we do, uh, except for we have chances. Uh, we have things that can change. We have chances in between that that can change how uh, how the story ends up turning out. So our ideas are, are dynamic, and that's pretty easy to, to explain to somebody. Have you had any people you recruited with your pitch? Um. A uh, nice few, yeah. Um, uh, so you're making up for Dave's shortfall. Dave doesn't. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, well, I'm the complete, uh, like, not. I would say polar, uh, polar opposite, but um, I'm definitely like RPG obsessed, like passionate individual who uh, uh, will go out into a group and recruit people. Uh, of course, they'll probably get weeded out later. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> once, once we find out, strong will survive. Yeah. Right, right. So, so yeah, based on the relative importance, uh, system, GM, and uh, players, you have 100 points to split between the three. Dave, I know you've, you've, you've sort of put your cards on the table already, but go ahead. 40, 40, 20. 20 for the system, and then 40 uh, for the players and the, and the GM. And why is that? Why do you think? You, why do you think the system is less important than either part of the gene? Because I think the you know I mean I, like I said earlier I think the system is 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 just a means to resolve conflict or challenges within the story, and ultimately it's uh, it has to. The rest of it is basically between the players and the GM, and hopefully you have a good GM and have good players, and it's it's about having a good time and just progressing the story. All right, sure, Matt. Uh, I'd say probably. 50 to the players, 30 to the GM, and uh, 20 to the system. Because for me, in my experiences, the system really doesn't matter except for the exception of White Wolf, which I hope burns. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like for me, it's the players because the players are the people who you play with. And if you enjoy playing with them, if they're intelligent, they have good imaginations, and even if you got some polar opposite characters in there or personalities, that all adds to the fun. And... Depending on your system, the GM is there just to give you a nudge, right? 
He's the uh, like someone said earlier this evening, the referee. Sure. Uh, he uh, he calls he calls the fight when it's over. He starts the fight and uh, he controls the NPCs that are around you. And well, it's e- it's easy to su- to survive with a you know subpar GM, but it's impossible to survive with subpar players because you either end up having fights or you end up having three or four people standing around staring at you, like saying nothing. Sure. Uh, I'd say um, 60 to the system, um, and probably 30 to the players. Well, 25, 25. No, 50 to the system, 25, and 25 right. to the players and GMs. I think that the players and GMs are equal to regards for, uh, because a GM is technically a player with different responsibilities. Sure. That's how I look at it. Sure. Uh, and the system is how what guides the fun. If the system itself is not designed to the, what the players will have to, in, what the employers and players enjoy to do, they're not going to have fun using that system. So they make uh, house rules, or they change the system to suit their their personal now. And, and and systems, you know, that's the way it works, right? Um, I think the system has a lot to do with it because the system drives the theme, it drives the tone. Without the system, you wouldn't have anything to do. Right, ladies and gentlemen, Jason, Matt, and Dave. That's it for episode 27 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the show, daniel at hazardgaming.com. If you'd like to buy a signed and numbered copy of Victoria, go to hazardgaming.com and click the Buy Victoria button. You can also get PDFs of the game through DriveThruRPG or RPG Now. But for the listeners of Penny Red, if you go to that Buy Victoria page and then scroll down on the right-hand side till you're across from the field where you enter your email address to receive your PDF, you'll find a secret link. Click that secret link and you'll find a page where you can buy Victoria for just $6.99. Print-on-demand versions of the game are available through Lulu. If you do a search for Daniel Hodges or for Victoria and scroll down a little bit, you should track it down there. With a bit of luck and exactly seven days' worth of patience you should be able to listen to Ryan Macklin's episode. So until then, keep talking the walk.